by now everybody should be able to answer this question. Who does God say we are? Who does God say we are? His children. We are his. God makes us his own. This is the first two chapters of Ephesians. Remember, we talked about new life in Christ and peace with Christ first and then with others. He gives us new life, freshly born from the resurrection of his son. We have lived in peace and we live in him, unlike what the world gives. But on Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, God describes that new life. He shows us what that new life is. These are kind of the roadmaps for his children, showing us where God wants to take us in this new life. What about Ephesians 3? I jump from 1 to 2 to 4, 5, and 6. Well, it's one thing to have new life. It's another thing, though, to get our new life moving. That's why we have Ephesians 3. Paul has Ephesians 3. You know a a new life is not a renewed life. It is not a second chance life that we get to please God. It's exactly what it says. It's new life. Born again. Born anew. The old is gone. The old nature of the body is drowned with Christ in baptism. The sinful self. The body destined for death and destruction because of sin is newly created, not based on anything we've done, but a free gift from him. New life. That's Ephesians 1-2. That body is left in the waters of baptism, as Paul describes, buried with Christ in Romans 6. And in the first two chapters in Ephesians here, we remember that we who are in Christ, that's baptized in his name, having been buried with him and in him. Being in Christ, we have peace with God, and that is what is foundational to have peace with others in our life. In this new life in Christ, we must learn to crawl, walk, and run. Just as we did when we learned as we were babies to crawl and walk, and run in our sinful flesh with selfish desires, selfish passions, in short, in our former lives. So also in this new life. So before moving to chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul kind of stands back before he starts to describe this new life and where it takes us in order to follow this roadmap for our life where God is leading us. We need to fuel And we need to build up our bodies. So in Ephesians 3, Paul gives us the key that fuels us as newborn life in Christ. As his children. To take us from crawling, to walking, to running. Paul simply calls this prayer. Prayer. The fuel that strengthens. God wants us to get moving with our beautiful New life, that's going to be described in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. And we get moving through prayer. 
There are five simple words that I want to use for understanding this all-important point in learning to crawl, walk, and run in our new life. There are five P words. Prayer is one of them, is, is, is of course one of them. Posture, purpose, power, and promise. Posture, purpose, power, and promise. Everybody say that. Po without spitting on the back of the heads of anybody in front of me. Okay. Posture, purpose, power, and promise. So the first one, the posture for prayer is the first thing Paul talks about. He says in Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Ephesians is all about spiritual posture in Christ. And we see that. First, if you remember, in Ephesians 2, verse 6, Paul talks about sitting. He says, And raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now Paul talks about kneeling when he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We're going to hear a little later next week and the week after about walking, where he says, I therefore, a prisoner from the Lord, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then stand in chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So this imagery... And this happens a lot in the Bible, and particularly in the Old Testament. In fact, it's an interesting study to go through a book and just look at, not just ge geography, but look at how body parts and postures are within the context of a given text or chapter. So here we have it. Sit, kneel, walk, stand. Ephesians 4 and 5 is all about our walk in Christ. Paul uses the term walk six times in these two chapters. And Ephesians ends chapter 6 with stand. Four times in this chapter, we're told to stand our ground against the devil. Sit, kneel, walk, stand. It's no accident that right in the middle then, Paul puts in Ephesians 3, kneel in prayer. If you want to walk and stand, first we kneel. As a baby, crawl, walk, run. Paul wants us to kneel in prayer. He wants us to be humble before the Father, and he wants us to call him Father. The Father in Ephesians, where do we see it? Grace, Paul says in Ephesians 1, grace and peace to you from God our Father. He mentions it as glorious Father when he says the glorious, powerful Father in Ephesians 1. For through him, Paul says, we both have access to the Father, in Ephesians 2.18. One God and Father of all of us, who is over all, through all, and in all, in Ephesians 4-6. How do we get our life moving? The first P is what? Posture. We kneel before the Father. Then we also, besides posture, we have purpose the purpose of prayer paul continues 
verses later in chapter 3, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your innermost being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. His purpose is to strengthen us so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Remember, Paul is writing to Christians from jail. He's writing to those who have already accepted Christ, who already have Christ living in their hearts. So the purpose of the prayer is not to invite Christ into their hearts, as many theologians and churches would have today, to accept Christ as your personal Savior. He's writing to people who already believe, who already live in Christ. But Paul's talking about dwelling. The purpose of this prayer is dwell. Now it's interesting because dwell doesn't mean just to live in. John uses this word and it's really packed with meaning for the people in the first century because it's tabernacle talk. Tabernacle talk. Well, kind of meaningless to us. But John says when the light of the world came into the world in chapter 1, and he says the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Paul used the word he tabernacled among us. Why? Because in the prophet Ezekiel, in his vision, saw the Lord, the glory of the Lord, which is commemorated and symbolic by our red candle, left the temple. And for 400 years, there was no presence of the word of God in the prophets. There was a vacuum. There was a space between the Testaments, the old and the new. So when John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he tabernacled. He came back to his temple. Now what's Paul saying? We pray because his dwelling place is in you, is in me. He tabernacles in us. He uses this Greek particularly because the people will know exactly what he's saying. He makes his home in us. Now, I don't, I don't know how it is. I, I don't claim to know... California West Coast culture. Becky and I have only been here four and four, four and a half years. But in, in the Midwest, I'm going to use the analogy. Perhaps it's the same here. When people come over to your house, guests, you haven't come over, are they living room friends? Or are they kitchen friends? Living room friends, you invite guests over, and it's, it's you know, it's nice, you're cordial, they're sitting there, you entertain them, you talk and everything. But they never get to see other parts of that house, right? They kind of stay in there. It's not because you, you don't trust them, it's just that, that that's the relationship you have with them. Well, in the Midwest, and probably because of farmers anyway, you go into the house, good friends, you sit in the kitchen, you sit with a cup of coffee, you sit around the kitchen table, and you talk. They get to see the interior of the house, right? Now, is that the same here? Where does the intimate friends get to go in your house? Right? The people from church, right? As opposed to a person maybe you just met. 
Well, which one is Jesus? The purpose of Jesus is to let Christ into your whole house, into your kitchen, the parts of the house that nobody else sees, so that he dwells in the innermost part of your life, the part that's good, the part that's bad, the part that's hidden, the life you alone know about, the thoughts, the feelings, the actions. That's where Christ dwells in you. He just does not live in you. He dwells in you. That is the purpose of prayer. Kneeling before the Father, the purpose is that he dwells in you. It, uh, the purpose is that it opens the door to all the rooms in your heart and your house and say, Jesus, make yourself at home. Mi casa, tu casa. Make your home in my heart. There's nothing that I don't want to show you. There's nothing that I cannot tell you. You know all, and I want to be clean and come clean with all. Not only my love for you, but those things that I'm struggling with, those things that embarrass me, those things that I'm hiding from others. You can see them. Why? Because of power of prayer. The power of prayer. Not only the posture kneeling before the Father, not only the purpose that he dwell in us, but the power of prayer, Paul says. And I pray that you be rooted and established in love. May have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. Now he's used love three times. I think it's an important word. The Lord who wants access to every part of our house in our being is also the Lord who tenaciously and passionately loves us. And the power of prayer makes that love real. We are rooted in his love. Not temporarily, but forever. He looks at our good and our bad and our hiddenness, and he forgives us because of his great love. It's like this. You know, the Olympics are coming up, right? And when the Olympics come up, we talk about a dream team, don't we? That is, the best players from all the leagues are all on one team. So God, out of love, put us on his dream team. Not because of who we are, because I'd probably still be on the bench, the last one picked for the team, but because of who he is. Sure, we strike out a lot. Sure, we miss the ground balls, the easy ones, go right through our legs. Some of us get picked off second base almost every day. Then we expect God to trade us, right? We're not as good as we thought we were. But the power of prayer enables us to grasp how wide and how deep and how high and how long the love of Christ is. It's a love that forgives our sins. It's a love that will never trade us. Never. And that's the power of love. Contrary to what Huey Lewis in the news might sing about because of this love, Paul says it surpasses all knowledge. It's incomprehensible, particularly because we wouldn't love that way. 
you don't meet the standards, you're off the team. But not with God. That's him dwelling in us. We can't reason this love out. We can't figure it out. And we can't make an outline out of it. We can't understand God's love with our minds. It's bigger than that. It's the cross and the nails and the thorns and the blood and the tomb. It's Jesus for us forever. Kneeling before the Father with the purpose of opening every corner of our lives to him, living rooted in the power of his love, we have a promise. Posture, purpose, power, promise. Paul says in Ephesians 3 in our chapter, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we, all, than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Ties into what Peter is saying in his second letter, where he says, through these things, which Paul just mentioned, he has bestowed on us his precious and most magnificent promises, so that by means of what was promised, you may become partakers of the divine nature. You may become partakers of the divine nature of Christ after escaping worldly corruption that is produced by evil desire. That's his promise. We will reign with Christ. We will sit with him. We're picked to be on his team. Well, why don't we pray more often like Paul in Ephesians 3? I think there's two basic reasons. Sometimes we don't think we need to pray. We're handling life pretty good. Things are going smoothly. Thank you very much. I'm pretty good as it is. We don't want to invite him in to see our hidden guilt or sins. We, we want to look good. We want to impress him. We'd like to be the first ones picked for his team. That could be a reason. Or another reason why we don't pray like Paul in Ephesians 3 is because we're afraid to start living. Do we have what it takes to live the Christian life in the world? what it really means to live with Christ in you, the new life for your neighbor. We're afraid of where we'll go, where he might take us. He might put us in a situation where we're very uncomfortable. I don't know how to do that. I don't want to do that. Like a child, we're afraid of moving from crawl to walk to run. You know, there's a leap of faith there, right? A child can fall over. If we embrace the posture of prayer, kneeling before the Father, the purpose of prayer to open all the rooms of our heart, the power of prayer to grasp God's love, and the promise of prayer, we might go places we'd rather not go. Perhaps retirement might start looking a little bit different. Or I might become more generous, more loving, more forgiving. Maybe I'm able to let things go that bothered me before. Maybe my commitment to the church becomes radical. And so we choose to remain in diapers, watching others around us walk by. Really? Aren't you tired of just sitting still and doing nothing for Christ in your life? 
for both these fears, I'm going to boil it down the second half of Ephesians 3 in a six-word prayer. Six words, which for Greg Klotz is uncommon. Six words that God wants us to pray. God, you're able, and I'm available. Let's pray that together. God, you're able, and I'm available. Amen.